Lori and I were we found ourselves in First Peter and reading some some stuff there. We were focusing more in chapter three, but I went back at one point to get a little context uh, of First Peter three, and in verse three and following of uh, chapter one, I found a great encouragement. And I thought, wow, that really ties into what. My study has been uh, leading into John 14. So if you have your Bibles open with me to, to 1 Peter, and I want to kind of get us on the get us on the on-ramp, if you will, or get us all going the same direction, and then we'll we'll jump right into chapter 14 of John's gospel. So in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And I was thinking, who, who else would know this better? But Peter was in that room with the Lord and the other disciples on that night. And so as we launch into chapter 14 i want you to keep that in your mind what peter said there i mean it was that could be the sermon on this this uh these first four verses of john chapter 14 so let's uh, ask the lord to bless our time here and i will launch right into it oh lord father mighty god you are our everlasting father and lord we we praise you this day. We come together on this, the Lord's day, to uh, give you the glory, Lord, to bow down before your throne of grace and worship you, the only one worthy. And Lord, I pray that you would loose my stammering lips this day, that you would give me the unction of your spirit to preach your word uh, to this body today. And Lord, I pray for unction of ears and hearing out there that those who are here today would grab hold of these truths and this encouragement uh, and that we would uh, use it to encourage ourselves throughout the days and weeks to come as we know that uh, trouble is all around us on every side and things seem to be getting worse and worse as the days go on and Lord we know that uh, you are sovereign over all these things and by your providence uh, they take place so uh, Lord, bless this message, bless this time, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So, back to John, Gospel of John. So here we are, the Lord is with his disciples. Judas has been called out for his treason, his traitor, and sent on his way. 
Peter has been told that he's going to deny the Lord three times before the rooster crows, and the other ten have been told that they will scatter like chickens uh, in just mere hours or days, depending on where this time is taking place. And so he's standing before this group of men who are downcast, who are saddened, who are really probably in disbelief at this point. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am there, you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way you know. As I said, these men were uh, troubled in their spirits and their hearts. And the Lord knows it. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Now we in this present world are no strangers to trouble, are we? Because there's no lack of it. Just look around you. You don't have to look very far to see that we are in troubled times. Turn on the news or, or read the newspaper or look at the, the news on your home page of your computer and you will know what I am talking about. There's soaring crime, inflation, interest rates are climbing, fears of recession or depression, some are saying. Our government has gone rogue. Our borders are wide open. There are wars and rumors of wars. Boys won't be boys and girls want to, don't want to be girls. Another round of COVID is in the pipeline with all of its lockdowns and maskings. Families are being torn apart. Divorce is more popular than marriage. Sin runs rampant. And the church, for the most part, has bought into all of it. You could pretty much say there is trouble in our homes, trouble in our churches, trouble on our jobs, in our schools, with our government, in our streets, and across this land. As the great theologian Tanya Tucker wrote a song one time that says, I've got trouble. Trouble in my heart, trouble in my mind. It's never any trouble for me to find some kind of trouble. That's the day we live in. And yet our Lord tells these disciples and us, let not your heart be troubled. Job in his prayer of despondence said, man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. And our Lord in our passage today takes notice of his disciples' troubled hearts. Now, whether it was apparent from their faces, I kind of think it must have been, or he just knew in their heart, knew their hearts, but he knew and he could see that they were troubled. And why wouldn't they be? One of their own has just been charged with treason and discharged from their presence. Another of them, their, their leader, if you will, Peter, has been told that he will deny Christ three times before the rooster crows. And the remaining disciples have been told that they will scatter and leave him when he needs them the most. Not to mention that he's going away and where he's going, they can't come. These men are in a, in a spot here. Now, I hope you understand, as I do, that all of the troubles I listed in 
the opening here, they are troubles of this world. And that's all they are, troubles of the world. They are earthly and fleshly, but nevertheless, they are real troubles. We have to live in this world. There's no doubt about it. The Lord said you, are, you have to live in the world, but you aren't to be of the world. And he said also, in this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world, he says. Trouble was nothing new to the saints. Not the saints of the Old Testament either. I just quoted Job. David, King David was no stranger to troubles. We know that, right? He had enemies on all sides. His own son tried to overthrow his kingdom and take his throne. He had a wife that despised him and very few people in his circle that he could trust. David knew about troubles. So troubled hearts are no rare or unique thing to the saints. In fact, Job's friend Eliphaz, I, I use air quotes around friend. Uh, I don't know how well these guys were liked by Job at this point, but Job's friend Eliphaz said, quote, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. Yet as yet man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. Now we've all stood around a campfire, I'm sure at some point, and take a stick or a poker and jab into the fire there, and what happens? Sparks fly up, don't they? You throw a big chunk of wood on a fire, the sparks fly up. It happens every time. It's a sure thing. And that's what Eliphaz is saying here, that man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward. If you're born, a child is born, at some point in that child's life, if he or she lives long enough, trouble will start to come. And all through their life, trouble will come as sure as the sparks fly upward. And as us uh, older people can verify that that doesn't change with age, that doesn't get any better. As the sparks fly upward, trouble comes. And our Lord addresses these 11 men in his presence who were cast down and, and full of sorrow. They had come to know that this Jesus as their master, their Lord, and hopefully their king. But now they're faced with the reality that he was going to be taken, tortured, mocked, spit on, beaten, and killed. That's what they're faced with. They had hoped that he was going to be the one to restore the kingdom to Israel, that he would establish his throne in Jerusalem and defeat Caesar and the Romans and give the land back to the Jews. And restore power to Israel. But all of that is off the table now. And not only is he going to not going to establish his kingdom right now, but he's going to die and go away where they cannot even find him. So yes, their hearts were troubled. They were distraught, to say the least. And their master knows it. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. So why would our Lord tell these men and, and us uh, to let our hearts not be troubled when there is so much to be troubled by? It caused me to think, is there something wrong with being troubled? 
Is it a, a sin to be troubled? I ask you, is it a sin to be troubled? Well, let's see. Someone once said that a troubled heart puts a question mark on God's providence. I've heard other things, other people say a troubled heart puts a question mark on God's sovereignty, or a troubled heart puts a question mark on God's love. George Mueller once said, I never wanted anyone to see me tired, troubled, or in need of anything, lest they think my God cruel, uncaring, and unable to provide. So is a troubled heart a lack of faith? I think it is. A troubled heart can also rob us of our joy. We can begin to think, you know, I don't really have all that I want. We can look around and say, and I can, I can do this, you can do this. You know, I don't really have all that I desire. There's things I desire that I don't have. I don't have what my neighbors have, maybe. I don't have what the Joneses, we used to say, keep up with the Joneses. I don't have what the Joneses have. And we can find ourselves thinking about this and troubling ourselves because we don't have what we think we should. And I'll just tell you what I have to tell myself. Yes, you might not have all you want, but you have way more than you deserve. So get over yourself. Let not your heart be troubled, especially about that stuff. A troubled heart can also cause us to miss blessings. If we are so weighed down by troubles and our mind is constantly fixed on them, then we miss the blessings that God is bestowing on us. It's the old adage, don't number your troubles or don't add up your troubles, but rather count your blessings. And we tend to want to dwell on our problems rather than look at all that the Lord has done for us. And if we could just quit dwelling on what we don't have instead of what we do, if we would meditate on the many blessings in our lives, there wouldn't be any time to think about what we don't have or what we think we should have. Our Lord said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the troubles of this world. I don't know that there is anything more pathetic or dishonoring to God than a Christian, a child of God who walks around moping and grumbling about their circumstances. And don't misunderstand me. I, I've done this myself. And I repent. But I don't think there's anything worse than grumbling or complaining about where we find ourselves as Christians. Another thing is, a troubled heart doesn't help us out of our troubles, does it? You know how it is. The more you fret and worry about something, the bigger it becomes. The more you focus on the troubles, the bigger they get, especially at night for me. I don't know why I find myself waking up sometimes, not so much anymore, but when I was running bigger jobs and stuff, I would wake up in the middle of the night thinking about some little detail that I might have missed. And by morning, it's just... I've gotten myself worked up to the, the whole jobs uh, going to fall apart. But 
<clears throat> we tend to think about troubles and, and make them worse. Those 12 men that Moses sent to spy out the land of Canaan, 10 of them came back with troubled hearts, didn't they? And the more they thought about those walls around those cities that they were supposed to go in and take, the higher those walls got in their minds, the thicker they became, the more intimidating and unimpenetrable they got. And the more they thought about those men in that land, they grew to be 10 feet tall. They said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. They had made themselves out to be nothing in comparison to these men. Their anxiety caused their troubles to grow disproportionately. And it didn't help their situation any. Yes, Caleb and Joshua tried to get them to see some truth, tried to settle things down. But it was too late. They had already riled up the people. They had already got the people disheartened and troubled in their hearts. Remember their mantra, Oh, that we would have just stayed in Egypt. Oh, that we would have just stayed in Egypt. Then we would have had meat in our pots and we wouldn't have all these troubles. Which brings out another problem with trouble. Troubles can be contagious. Those ten men caused the entire nation to stumble and fall into God's displeasure with them. They wouldn't even listen to the voice of reason from the other two spies. Caleb and Joshua, they brought back all this fruit. They said, no, God's going to deliver us. We can do this. We just need to trust in the Lord. But it was too late. Listen, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. The beginning of anxiety is the end of, the, is the end of faith. That's what George Miller said. The entire nation of Israel went into the wilderness to wander about for 40 years because of the contagious nature of trouble and the anxiety that it brought about. And it killed any faith that they might have had. So you could say that anxiety kills faith. Paul said in Philippians 4, 6, be anxious for nothing, right? Be anxious for nothing, but by prayer and supplication make your wants known to the Lord. <clears throat> you and I need to be careful that we don't get sucked into the snare of others who just want to worry and fear about everything that may or may not happen. And I'll tell you, there are a lot of voices right now out there. If you're on the internet or I don't have social media, but I can only imagine, there are a lot of purveyors of fear. There are a lot of people peddling fear right now. Are there concerns? Absolutely. We need to be aware of what's going on. But if the people would have listened and trusted to what the Lord had told Moses to tell them, namely that he would deliver the land into their hands, they could have avoided a whole lot of trouble and death. About 40 years worth, to be exact. So these 11 men that our Lord was telling to let not your hearts be troubled, we're no doubt feeding off of each other at this point. As I said, one was cast out as a traitor, one was told he would deny them three times, and the rest were told that they would be made to scatter like chickens when the fox comes. They no doubt stood there, staring at the floor, hands in their pockets if they had them, knowing what sort of death their master was about to face. 
And they could do nothing to stop any of it. Helpless. And the Lord knew that they were troubled in their hearts. He could see it. He could sense it. He knew. So he gives them the cure. What is the cure for a troubled heart? cure for a troubled heart is faith he said let not your hearts be troubled believe in God you believe in God believe also in me believe also in me faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is the cure for a troubled heart David knew this though at times it seemed he seemed to forget it but hold your hand in John 14 and turn with me to Psalm 42 as I said there David was no stranger to troubles Psalm 42, he gives us the cure. Psalm 42 and verse 5. He says, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. O my God, My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of the Jordan and from the heights of Hermon, from the hill of Mizar. Deep calls unto deep at the noise of your waterfalls. All your waves, billows, they have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night his song shall be with me. A prayer to God, to the God of my life. Hope in God. There's the cure for a troubled heart. Hope in God. Solomon told us that the fear of men brings a snare, but hope in God is the cure. Our Lord says you believe in God. That's not a question now. He's not saying, do you believe in God? He's making a statement here. You believe in God. Paul tells us in Romans 1, Let's flip over there real quick. Paul tells us, we know that everyone knows there's a God. And Paul tells us in Romans chapter 1, in verse 20, he says, For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without, what? Excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. How many people have you had tell you when you Ask them how it is with their soul that they believe in God. Have you had this? You ask somebody, how is it with your soul, my friend? Well, what do you mean? Well, if you were to die and stand before God this evening, tonight, would he tell you, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into my joy? Or would he say, away from me, you who practice lawlessness, I... No, not you. Whenever you get to that point, they say, well, I I believe in God. 
Oh, I believe in God. And I say, I know you do. My Bible tells me that. Paul tells me that. I know you believe in God. But do you glorify him as God? Do you believe on his son? Do you worship him? How is it with your soul? You believe in God, believe in me also, he said. So what is it that keeps man from the cure? Fear. Fear keeps men from the cure. And for the unbeliever, it's the fear of men. It's the fear of the unknown. It's the fear of everything that I listed in my introduction there. For the believer, what is the believer fear? The believer fear is God, right? We, we fear God. Now, can we let these other things get to us? Yes, and, and we do it quite often. I, I do as well. But ultimately, is the, it is the fear of God that troubles the saint's heart, or at least it should be. We fear the one who can not only kill the flesh, because that's all man can do. As Andy used to always say, my friend Andy in Montana, what's the worst they can do? Kill me and eat me. That's all man can do to us. We don't just fear men. We fear the one who can not only kill the flesh, but cast the soul into hell. And it's always, inter it's always an interesting look that you get when you tell somebody that they need to turn to God to flee the wrath of God. They'll look at you like, Flee to God to flee the wrath of God? Yeah, it's true. The only one who can save you from the wrath to come is the one whose wrath it is. It was grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace, my fear is relieved. Right? The master looked at these men in their weak, frail state and took pity upon them. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. Jesus is God. But he was also a man at this point. And he understood something of the fear in them. These men, no doubt, were thinking about all the enemies that Christ had made in the past three and a half years and how they would become the targets of the scribes and Pharisees and chief priests once they got Jesus out of the way. You know they were. They had to be. They saw the way they came after Christ. And they knew as soon as they kill him, guess what? We're next. And I'm sure they were doubting not only their own ability to stand and stay true in that, but the resolve of the others in the room. Would they all stick together or would they turn on one another? I mean, one of them just betrayed the Lord for 30 pieces of silver would this be the end of what they had poured themselves into for the last three and a half years? You see, all these thoughts were probably going through their minds at this time. And I wonder if at some point, if one of them or maybe all of them began to remember back, maybe he recalled to their minds the time when they were on, the, remember when they were going across the lake in the boat and Jesus is asleep in the bow of the boat and, 
the waves, a storm kicked up and the wind and the waves were coming over to where the boat was taking on water and, and they were pretty sure they were going to perish and they wake him up and they almost scold the Lord for, for uh, not caring that they were about to drown and perish. And Remember what he did. He arose, he turned to them and he said, O ye of little faith. O ye of little faith. Then he rebuked the wind and the sea and it became as glass. That would have been a great comfort to them at that time, wouldn't it? That's a great comfort to us. I use that at times. I think about that at times when things seem so out of control and so out of my control. But rather than lose hope, I think about the one who gives me hope and his ability. Our Lord could have pointed to many such instances. And I'm sure that would have been would have brought to mind his mighty power and all sufficiency and been a comfort to them. That is why he is saying to them now, right here, you believe in God, believe also in me. And he goes on to say, in my father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. In other words, I am going to the cross in a very short time, in order that you will be able to go with me to my father's house later. I go to prepare a place for you. I'm not just bailing on you. I'm not forsaking you for an easier road. No, I go to prepare the way. You see, we have, us now, we have the benefit of knowing the whole story. We can look back on the cross, but these men, they hadn't, they hadn't been through it yet. We know that he was killed, buried, and rose again on the third day. But they still didn't understand completely this whole cross thing. What was this? They were so sure that he was coming to set up his kingdom to destroy the Romans that they weren't listening to him when he was telling them about the suffering servant. Again, they had their advents confused. And now, here they are, faced with the reality that their master, their leader, was about to let himself be captured and killed. Not just murdered, but shamefully put to death as a public spectacle. And if these Jews see him as a thief or a criminal or a blasphemer of God, what will be their fate if they stay behind? That is why I believe he lets, <clears throat> he lets them now know, I'm sorry, he lets them know that he is going to the cross so that they can come to his father's house later. He is our what? Our propitiation. He's going to satisfy the wrath of the father. He's going to take all of that on himself to prepare the way, to prepare a place he says, and if I go to prepare, <clears throat> I don't like that word if right there. I think it was R.C. Sproul one time. He said, every time you see an if like that, he said, you should just write right above it, since. <laughs> Whoever they said that. <clears throat> I like that here. It would be better to say since I go or when I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. That where I am, 
there you may be also. There's no question. He's going to do it. And that is what they were hoping to hear. That's all they wanted to hear. They only wanted to continue to be with their Lord. And you and I should have that same desire. Amen? The only problem is God is just and can by no means clear the guilty. And there's their dilemma. They don't understand that. But he knows he has to go to this cross in order to prepare the way, to prepare a place. God is just and can no means, by no means clear the guilty, apart from the cross, that is. Apart from the cross. And I said, we have the advantage of looking back. It's easy for us. But they didn't. The comfort for these disciples and us is that we have a mediator. We have one who will go to the Father on our behalf, who will go and prepare a place for us in his kingdom. That's Hebrews 10, 19, correct? Turn with me there for a minute. Hebrews 10 and verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's the transaction that is about to take place. That is the new and living way which he consecrated for us. Amen. In my father's house are many mansions, he tells them. He's talking about heaven now. Eternity in the presence of God the Father. Everybody wants to go to heaven, don't they? Everybody wants to go to heaven. Even the most wretched sinner. When he dies, will have somebody stand up in his funeral or stand up and tell you, oh, he's in a better place. He's in heaven. He's in heaven? How? That wretched sinner that lived his life for himself, he's in heaven? As I said before, not everybody talking about heaven is going there. Yet all desire it, don't they? Everybody wants to go to heaven. They just don't want God to be there when they get there. But our Lord comforts those who are his own these men and us with the promise that he is going to prepare a place for us in heaven. If it were not so, he says, I would have told you. Lori asked me yesterday, what are these mansions? In my father's house, there are many mansions. What, what are these mansions? Well, they are dwelling places, a place not made with human hands. You see, on this earth, we dwell in tabernacles. Paul said we, we live in these tents, in these tabernacles, these, <clears throat> these earthly tabernacles. But in eternity, we will have a permanent dwelling place. That's what the mansions are. I don't know what they'll look like, but you can be sure that if the Lord is preparing them for us, they're going to be awesome. They're going to be perfect. Unlike these tents that we live in now, decaying, 
imperfect. And as I told the old reprobate in Montana, as he complained and whined about all the troubles and trials in this life, I said to him, you know what? For you, this earthly existence, this life here, the 60, 70, 80 years we have here on earth, is as close to heaven as you're ever going to get. And I said, and you know what? This 60, 70, 80 years on earth is as close to hell that I'll ever have to get being a Christian. That's the perspective. I go to prepare a place for you. For you. It's easy for us to think about Abraham or Moses or David or Paul or Spurgeon or Whitfield. It's easy for us to think that God has prepared a place for them in eternity. I mean, those are mighty men of God. They, they deserve that. Our Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you, Lori, Mary, Kyle, Scarlett. I go to prepare a place for you. But here our Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. Everyone who believes not only in God, but on the Lord Jesus Christ as well, will have a place prepared for them. He's already done it. How do I know? Turn back with me to 1 Peter and I'll leave you with this. 1 Peter 1 again. I read it to you earlier, but I want to leave this thought with you. <clears throat> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away reserved in heaven for who? You who are kept by the power of God through the faith for salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. That's how I know. Amen? Let's pray. Oh Lord, what a great encouragement to know that you have gone to that cross, that you have taken the wrath due us to prepare a way that we can be where you are with the Father. That we can be in your midst, dwelling together with you, the Godhead in eternity. Lord, we know that there are troubles all around us on every side and we can easily see them and we can easily let them grow disproportionately in our minds if we let them. But Lord, help us to Keep our eyes fixed on the one who is above all these things. Lord, we know that by your providence, by your sovereignty, not one feather of any bird falls to the ground, not one hair of our head. Do you not know? Oh Lord, help our, help our faith to grow and carry us through these times as we know that this world is growing darker by the day and things seem to be spiraling out of control on us. But Lord, they're all under your feet and in your sovereignty. Lord, we believe in the Father. 
Help us to believe in you also. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>